What do you guys think happened? One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. Well, that's kind of far out. Mazes and monsters is a far out game. Swords, poison, spells, battles, maiming, killing. Hey, it's all imagination. Is it? first uh-huh go ahead okay um anybody that knows me knows i love the writer jim goad uh-huh and i was looking through my stuff and found a paranormal article nice always, all right yeah it's always been a um uh a thing i wanted to do is um ask the people I admire if they've ever had paranormal experiences um, and one day I'll get up the balls to ask him but <laughs> in the meantime here's <clears throat> an article called Shout at the Jersey Devil by Jim Goad nice every place has its creepy legends and ghost stories it's just that New Jersey has more of them there are actual destinations in Jersey called Mount Misery and Ghost Lake and Shades of Death Road. Jersey is reputedly home to the welling ghost of countless dead children and also to the Hooker Man, a phantom who roams train tracks at night with a lantern looking for his lost arm. <laughs> mm. Many of Jersey's creepier legends emerge from the Pine Barrens, a sandy, swampy, forested Mafia dumping ground comprising nearly a quarter of the state's landmass. Before Whitey came here and mucked up everything, the native Indians <laughs> called the area Papuessing or Place of the Dragon. Mm -mm. It is said that more Americans believe in the devil than in God. In 1730, the, the colonial Jersey village of Mount Holly tried two of its citizens for witchcraft. As the legend has it, five years later in the coastal town of Leeds Point, a witch gave birth to her 13th child. Although appearing normal at first, within minutes, the infant metamorphosed into a horse-headed, bat-winged, fork-tailed demon that escaped up the chimney and into the pines. Mm -hmm. Locals begin to report mutilated livestock, missing children, and ungodly shrieks emanating from the woods. In 1740, terror-stricken Pine Barrens residents beseeched a local minister to exorcise the beast. He did, promising that the Jersey Devil would not prey on anyone for a hundred years. The exorcism apparently only protected against the devil's aggression, not random sightings. In the early 1800s, as the story goes, naval hero Commodore Stephen de 
Decatur was testing cannonballs forged at Hanover Ironworks in the Pine Barrens when he spotted a weird creature flying nearby. He shot a cannonball at it and blew a hole straight through one wing, (laughs) but it continued flying as if unharmed. Napoleon's brother, Joseph Bonaparte, (laughs) rented a Pine Barrens country cottage from 1816 to 1839 and reportedly spotted the Jersey Devil while hunting. In 1840, exactly 100 years after the exorcism, the screens, hoof prints, and slaughtered livestock returned. In 1858, a New Yorker visiting the Pine Barrens noted how the locals seemed afraid to venture outside after dark. A rash of sightings during one frigid week in January of 1909 would even give pause to most skeptics. The Jersey Devil logged an estimated 100-plus public appearances in that week alone. As reported in the Philadelphia Record and other newspapers, entire groups spotted the monster at once, including a trolley full of people in Haddon Heights and armed posses in Camden and Collingswood. It was also seen by sober, normally reputable sources, such as a Trenton councilman, policemen in several towns, a group of firemen who shot their water hose at it, and the postmaster of neighboring Bristol, PA. Dogs and chickens turned up dead, and bizarre hoof prints were found throughout southern Jersey. By week's end, schools and factories were closed as citizens were mortified of stepping outside even in the daylight. Seeking the cold rush of fear, I motor into the Pine Barrens. These jagged forests are populated by an ornery recalcitrant, another word, (laughs) breed of swamp Yankees who call themselves Pineys. Outside Uh Pine Barrens liquors, east of the colonial ghost town of Batstow, there's a small sign featuring a mischievous cartoon demon and the phrase, I partied with the Jersey Devil. (laughs) (laughs) A little further down the road is a bar boasting the sign, Piney Power. As I breeze past a different local rifle club with nearly every mile marker, it occurs to me that I wander into this labyrinth, severely outgunned. The trees here are scrawny needle dicks compared to the California redwoods. Not pretty, they cast their gnarled shadows on the road. They look like burnt matchsticks out near the Carranza Memorial, a glorified tombstone in the middle of nowhere, commemorating the Mexican aviator who fell to his death out here during a 1920s thunderstorm. These drab, lonely roads carve a swath through dense woods, and the deeper I go, the more I feel trapped in a maze with no easy exit. Whizzing past the spindly trees, I pass by stagnant bogs, rust-colored streams, gravestone tablets tipping over in weed-choked cemeteries, and an oppressive, queasy silence. It's near dusk, and I'm getting scared. I pull off the battered two-lane blacktop onto a pure sand turnoff and drive into the woods until I find a football-filled-sized clearing. The thorny forest rims me on all sides. There are party remnants here, old blankets, quart bottles, charred fire pits, and rusty shotgun shells. I try to take a late afternoon nap, 
but am awakened by the sound of something bumping into my van. Mm-hmm. I see no living culprit, but as I march across the pebbly sand, I swear on whatever God it is that I pray to when I fear for my life, I find hoof prints, clothing, almost heart-shaped hoof prints. I remember the 50s sci-fi movie where the couple is parked in the woods and their car battery is dying, but their headlights are the only things which protect them from the giant brain space aliens who await on the fringes, afraid of the light. I remember hearing a version of the dead boyfriend urban legend as a kid where a couple runs out of gas in the Jersey woods and the boyfriend leaves to get help in the morning. His girlfriend is awakened by a repeated thudding sound, which turns out to be her boyfriend's dead body swinging from Mm -hmm. a tree and hitting the car. Mm -hmm. I instinctually begin gathering wood for a fire. I light a pile of pine needles, toss some dry twigs on top and then finally some small logs. By this time, everything within 10 feet of the glowing orange flames is darkness. Then it occurs to me that while the fire may keep away animal predators, it makes me an open target to gun-toting humans. I envision a gacked-out gang of pineys on dune buggies rolling over those (laughs) sand hills to slaughter me. When I mistakenly think I see a pair of headlights heading down my secluded trail, goosebumps sprout on my arms. I keep imagining I see and hear things, but I'm afraid of shining my flashlight and then actually seeing something staring back at me. High over the trees that surround me, I can see the faint glow of urban lights far off in the hazy nighttime sky. For a second, my only impulse is to jump in the van and shoot straight back to Philly. The fire slowly dies. I climb into the van, lock the doors, close my eyes, and force myself to fall asleep. The next morning, I'm eating eggs in Egg Harbor at a chrome-plated diner decked out in East Coast Greco Guido decor. (laughs) They sell plastic vampire teeth and a coin-operated vending machine in the foyer. Nice. My waitress has lived in the area for five years and says she doesn't believe in the Jersey Devil. She calls over another waitress, a chubster who's missing a tooth and says she grew up here. When she was a kid, the Jersey Devil was said to live at a nearby lake. As a teen, she'd go out there to party, although she believes the Jersey Devil is real. I believe the Jersey Devils are a hockey team. Grouse is an elderly man <laughs> in gas pumper clothes and thick eyeglasses sitting in the booth next to mine. But after 10 minutes of polite chit-chat, he opens up. He claims that years ago, he and his brother saw the Jersey Devil sitting on a hill above the road outside of Hamilton, calmly watching traffic. He also says that he was in a bar once in Green Bank when all the lights inexplicably shut off and he felt someone blowing on the back of his neck, only to turn around and realize it was a ghost. He also saw a flying saucer hovering above one of the trees outside of his house. His dog barked at it. You tell people these things and they don't believe you, he says, looking in my eyes with the apparent hope that I believe him. You drive out to the end of a godforsaken night you see a lot of things i drove into the pine barrens for one reason and that was to get scared and i succeeded i'm not going to delve into any joseph campbell style man's need for myth jargon i will only say that life is pretty boring if you never get scared well (laughs) (laughs) wow that was good that was good 
I gotta look him up too. Everything you read is like really good. <laughs> okay. To make a book list of lists. Can I yeah, read I'll you? Yeah, I'll send you one. I've got oh, I've okay. got so much of this stuff, and I always yeah. try to buy the signed copies. So I'll send you a signed copy or something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it's always good stuff, and I didn't know about him. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Can I read you this little piece? Yeah, this is from a book. <laughs> I'm not going to read the piece. Okay. Okay. Still looking out, I say to myself, "This is the moment when you must make your decision." For I n- now know that today. The drums, the singing, the movements, these may catch me also. I do not wish that. There is both fear and embarrassment in the idea. I know that I can leave now, that I can push out through the crowded exit and cross the smooth trampled court, turn up the rutted road, walk down its cool length, the sound growing more and more distant until in the small hut with its thick clay walls, I might lie down, not hearing the drums at all, except for brief moments when the faint fitful breeze would turn in that direction. Yet to do this would be to read myself out of it altogether in a large sense. Not that I would be subsequently excluded, not at all. Yet in my heart, I know that somehow it is not fair to stay only when it is easy or pleasurable or exalting and to withdraw in the face of discomfort. This is as much a part of it as if in accepting the rewards one had contracted to endure the ordeals. There is a sense of pride too. To run away would be a cowardice. I could resist, but I must not escape. And I can resist best, I think to myself, if I put aside the fears and nervousness. If instead of suspecting my vulnerability, I see myself in brazen competition with all this which would compel me to its authority. With this decision, I feel a resurgence of strength and of certainty of self and of my proper identity. And that's um, Maya Darren, Divine Horseman. Yeah. And um, she was, she was this Jewish lady who was a choreographer and a filmmaker. Okay. Yeah. And she spent uh, a considerable length of time in Haiti because she wanted to film like rituals. She wanted to film the dancing and the music and the drums. She wanted to film it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause she, and so she spent a, a long time there and, you know, got to know the people in the village and, you know, uh, got to learn about their belief system and stuff and then kind of ended up having. So that, that, um, that part was um, her description of how it felt the night that she um, was possessed by one of the 
the gods. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And I love that. It's just so, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, the drums and the fairy music definitely mm-hmm. in come on. Music being part of uh, part of all that. Oh yeah, or or an entrance into. Right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. I liked it. Yeah, I, I what I was looking at this week was other than demon possession. <laughs> <laughs> other what, than demon. What made you go into the demon thing? I. I don't even know. Just yeah. picking books off a shelf and be like, yeah, let's look at these. <laughs> that are like possessions in a sense, but not demonic possession. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then. So, so many of these cats are 100% sure that. Uh, most paranormal phenomenon is it's all demons yeah i heard i listened to a couple last week like that and they they seemed like nice enough guys you know right 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 i don't that's not don't look people it's just like are you like you already know all the answers right it's run it's running through your christian filter Right. You know, exactly. I don't I don't have that filter, so I don't see it that way, you know. Right. Nothing against them, just an observation. Right. Um, exactly. Oh yeah. Our friend Asa Jane, today's her birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And, and check I, out her shop. Look at yeah, the shop. Yeah. She makes really cool jewelry and uh great artwork she's she's the best yes um yeah i finally checked out i don't know why it took me so long but a awesome book called the inhumanoids that you've recommended to me for a long time yeah yeah and i love it except there's a lot on the fairies in it and uh mm-hmm. i'm eating it up but i yeah this is from the inhumanoids uh by Barton M. Nunnally. And I thought it was weird. He got, uh, if you look it up on Amazon, because it kept showing up in my uh, Amazon feed, uh-huh. and I put it in my wish list. It was like, I'll eventually get it. And uh, um, half the reviews are pretty bad. I don't get it. I like the book. I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. I, I, I don't get the. Um, the bad reviews i thought it was great but i um yeah this piece is called a trip to fairyland the abduction of ann jeffries Mm, okay okay perhaps the most impressively documented encounter with the fairy folk occurred in the year 1645 in cornwall england (laughs) it happened to a 19 year old girl named ann jeffries and the encounter changed her life forever the story is a steamy one for its time with both sexual and religious overtones and was discussed in detail in mm-hmm. Jerome Clark and Lauren Coleman's excellent work, The Unidentified. 
Anne was described as a daring girl of high intelligence. She seemed to have a preoccupation with fairies, however, and talked about them often in her spare time, (laughs) saying she would very much like to meet them. I can relate. Uh Uh-huh. People who knew her thought she was crazy. No one in their right mind could actually want to encounter the fairies, after all, but Anne did. She would go about the trees and gardens after sundown, it was said, singing to them among the wildflowers. Months went by. Then late one morning, as she sat knitting in her employer's garden, she heard a rustling in the trees, as if someone was watching her. She thought it was her boyfriend at first and pretended not to notice. (laughs) Then she heard a suppressed laugh a laugh and more rustling of branches and became annoyed that he wasn't showing himself. You may stay there till the moss grows on the gate. She called out here. I'll come to E then musical laughter erupted from the trees. And she realized that whoever, whoever her visitor was, it couldn't be her sweetheart. She heard the gate open behind her and turning around saw six little men. Mm. They were all handsome and bright-eyed, dressed in in green clothing and caps. There's the green again. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. The most dashing one, who wore a red feather in his cap, stepped Mm -hmm. forward, bowed, and talked to Anne like an old friend. Bowed, I'm sorry. Um, Completely charmed, she held out her hand to the little man, expecting him to shake it. Instead, he jumped into her palm, and she lifted him into her lap. The tiny chap then began taking liberties with Anne, fondling her <laughs> breast and kissing her lips. Mm. She responded favorably to his attentions, she said, and things went well until he presently called for his companions to join him. To join. <laughs> <laughs> they also clambered up her dress and began smothering her body with kisses. Then one of the beans ran his fingers over her eyes, which felt as though they had been pricked with a pin, and she was immediately blind. Suddenly, she felt as if she was whirling through the air at great speed. After a few moments of this, she heard one of the beans say something like, tear away, and the movement stopped. Moreover, as quickly as it had left, her sight had returned. She found herself in a beautiful and brilliant land, she later claimed, which appeared to be a garden of Eden-like paradise. She saw palaces of silver and gold that rose above lush green forest. Flowers grew everywhere, and their sweet fragrances filled the air, as well as the songs of many brightly colored birds. Hundreds of men and women were engaged in all manner of activities from strolling to dancing. To her surprise, she saw that all the fairies were now normal size, some even taller than herself, and she suddenly realized that she was now dressed in beautiful, sparkling clothing. Her six companions remained at her side attending to her, though her continued preference for the one who had first spoken to her appeared to cause the others to become jealous. Mm. The two eventually sneaked away from the others to a luxurious garden filled with flowers where they made love. Afterwards, as Anne lay with her lover amid the Eden-like splendor of fairyland, she wished she could live that way forever. Alas, it was not meant to be. Suddenly, loud noises interrupted them from their rest. They rose and saw the other five fairies at the head 
a large crowd coming at them in a violent, violent rage. Shit. <laughs> Anne's fairy lover drew his sword to protect her, but soon fell wounded to the ground, leaving Anne alone and helpless. The man who had blinded her before again put his hands over her eyes and again all went dark. She then felt the same whirling sensation once more as she was engulfed in a sound like a thousand flies buzzing about her. We hear that in UFOs a lot. I hear that outside. The buzzing <laughs> Sorry, sound. I'll tell you that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, while Anna was thus engulfed in her visions, a group of her friends found her in the garden, garden, suffering in the throes of a convulsive fit. They took her into the house and put her to bed, taking great care of her. As soon as she had recovered from the fit, she yelled, they're just gone out the window. Do you see them? From that point on, Anne was a changed woman. She apparently gave up her lusty, adventurous ways and became a devout Christian. She constantly went to church. She took mighty delight in devotion and in hearing the word of God read and preached, although she herself could not read. For a time, Anne refused to reveal anything about her abduction to fairyland, but she eventually confided some of it to some close friends, and from there, this story spread rapidly. But that was not all. Anne's exposure to fairyland, coupled with her extreme religious devotion, had apparently given her the power to heal the sick. Hmm? In a letter to the Lord Bishop of Gloucester, I think, the son of her employer, Moses Pitt, wrote, People of all distempers, sicknesses, sores, and ages came not only so far as the land's end, but also from London and were cured by her. She took no money from them, nor any reward that I ever knew or heard of, yet she had money at all times sufficient to supply her wants. She neither made nor bought any medicines or salves that ever I saw or heard of, yet wanted them not as she had occasion. She forsook eating our victuals and was fed by these fairies from that harvest time to the next Christmas day, upon which day she came to our table and said because it was that day she would eat some roast beef with us, that which she did, I myself being at the table. Now, Anne was, it seemed, no longer eating human food, but being fed by the fairies, who constantly mm -hmm. waited on her and vied for her favor. Once they even gave her a cup made of silver, which she in turn gave as a gift to a young girl. Pitt continues, she gave me a piece of her fairy bread, which I did eat, and I think it was the most delicious bread I ever ate, either before or since. One John Trigagle who was steward to John Earl of Radnor, being a justice of the peace in Cornwall, sent his warrant for Anne and sent her to Bodmin Jail oh. and there kept her a long time. Earlier, the fairies had warned her that she would be apprehended. Wow. She asked them if she should hide herself. They answered no, she should fear nothing, but go with the constable. So she went with the constable to the justice and he sent her to Bodmin Jail and ordered the prisoner keeper that she should be kept without victuals and she was so kept and she and yet she lived and that without complaining but poor Anne lay in jail for a considerable time after and also justice tregegel who was her great prosecutor kept her in his house sometime as a prisoner and without victuals 
When she was finally freed, Anne took a job near Padstow and shortly afterwards married a man named William Warren. During this time, she and the fairies had apparently parted ways, either because church officials had convinced her that the creatures were minions of Satan or she was reluctant to risk another long stretch in prison. Later in life, she flatly refused to even speak of the subject for any amount of money. The following is a sworn statement by a 17th century Swedish clergyman. In the year 1660, when I and my wife had gone to my farm, which is three quarters of a mile from Ragunda Parsonage, and we were sitting there and talking a while, late in the evening, there came a little little man in at the door who begged my wife to go and aid his wife, who was just in the pains of labor. The fellow was of a small size of dark complexion and dressed in old gray clothes. My wife and I sat a while and wondered at the man, for we were aware that he was a troll, and we had heard tell that such like, caused by the peasantry, vetter spirits, always used to keep in the farmhouses when people left them in at harvest time. But when we had urged his request four or five times, and we thought on what evil the country folks say that they have at times suffered from the vetter, when they chanced to swear at them, or from uncivil words, bid them to go to hell, I took the resolution to read some prayers over my wife and to bless her and bid her in God's name go with him. She took in haste some old linen with her and went along with him, and I remained sitting there. When she returned, she told me that she went with the man out at the gate. It seemed to her as if she was carried for a long time along in the wind. And so she came to a room, on one side of which was a little dark chamber, in which his wife lay in bed in great agony. My wife went up to her, and after a little while, aided her, till she brought forth a child after the same manner as other human beings. The man then offered her food, and when she refused it, he thanked her and accompanied her out. And then she was carried along in the same way in the wind, and after a while came again to the gate, just at ten o'clock. Meanwhile, a quantity of old pieces and clippings of silver were laid on a shelf in the sitting room, and my wife found them the next day when she was putting the room in order. It is supposed that they were laid there by the spirits, that it in truth so happened I witness by inscribing my name, April 1671. (laughs) Mm, That's good. That was good. That's such a good one. Fascinating. That was one of the... um, The fairy gangbang. That was the first one I heard. Well, let's see if I got something here for you then. (laughs) I, um, Hans Holzer, Possessed, I have, it's a book that I have. And I was like, well, let me see if, and actually a lot of the accounts in the books, it's other than demon possessions. Okay, here's one. Um, let's see. A German magazine recently reported how the widow of a prominent businessman continued her rather 
active sex life with him over, even after his demise. Mrs. B kept receiving concrete directives from her late husband, ordering her to invite likely candidates <laughs> to her home so the late husband could possess their bodies and thus satisfy his cravings. The intermediary of other people's physical bodies. Oh, wow. Apparently, the attempts of continuing their active sexual relationship from the beyond wasn't altogether successful. Mrs. B continued to look for likely candidates and lead her discarnate and lend her discarnate husband a temporary body. In the course of this search, dozens upon dozens of likely young men populated her bed. (laughs) (laughs) To the relatives, such behavior was, of course, unspeakable, especially since a rich inheritance was involved. But to Mrs. B, it seemed perfectly natural that her husband would want to continue their 30 years of happy relationship without the benefit of a physical body. If he was able to, if he was able to swing it and swing it, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently Mr. B's sexual appetites became more sophisticated as time went on. No longer satisfied with simple intercourse with his wife. He craved group sex as well, keeping up with the trends of the times. (laughs) Since, (laughs) Since Mrs. B did not possess any contacts with people willing to perform such unusual actions on behalf of her late husband, she used the classified ads in a German newspaper to find likely candidates. Oh, my God. As far as the candidates were concerned, so long as they get paid well, it did not matter what they were addressed by. It it did not matter that they were addressed by another man's name during it course. <laughs> Word of the strange goings on in Mrs. B's house could not fail to reach wider circles and Mrs. B rep- B's reputation became such that her old friends stayed away from her. However, there was no way in which anyone could accuse her of improper acts. She was neither insane nor did she break the law in any way. Thus, Mrs. B was able to continue her enjoyment of l- of life as she saw it, or rather as the voice of her late husband speaking to her from beyond would want it. Apparently, Mrs. B did not lack a somewhat unusual sense of humor. He directed his wife to, sorry, to arrange to have someone with her in the cemetery in order to make love on his grave. (laughs) He promised to be there and to make the occasion worthwhile. Only the purely technical aspects of arranging such a get-together in a cemetery have kept Mrs. B so far from realizing her her husband's latest desire. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's fucking great. It's true love, right? Just there were like going. swingers magazines back then, or huh? How, what year was that? Um, well, let's see. The book was, let's see, the book is from, let's see, 
I don't want to see it. 1973. Oh, okay. <laughs> 1973. Wow. That's great. All right. <laughs> well, hey, I really liked our uh, first show. Yeah. Yeah, we went into that, right? Yeah. <laughs> For hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And- I have. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I have another uh, little people story from that book. For reasons far beyond the reach of mortal kin, some humans apparently gain the favor of these tiny entities from childhood, which continues on throughout their entire lives. Betty Kirkland from Illinois is another such person. Her story story first came to public attention in 2001. While she was living in a suburb of Chicago, Kirkland, a married 33-year-old with two little girls aged eight and six, claimed that she had been favored by the fairies since age three. She first saw the wee people on a farm in central Illinois where she spent her childhood, she recalled, when she was only three years old. I saw a little man and a little woman picking apples that had fallen from the trees in our orchard. They were taller than I was at that age, so I thought at first that they were just some very short people my mother had allowed to enter our orchard. What really caught my attention is the way they were dressed. With their conical hats and bright green and red costumes, I thought they wore very strange clothing for farmers. What is it about the green and red? It's crazy. As is the want of a small child, Betty innocently approached the couple who went right on about their business of picking up apples, inspecting them and placing the good ones in the colorful cloth bags they carried. Out of childish curiosity, Betty then asked them what their names were and a look of shock came over their faces. The little man's mouth dropped open and the woman exclaimed in a shrill little voice, Oh no, she can see us. She's not supposed to be able to see us. <laughs> the man then gave a chuckle. Sure she can see us, he said. She's got the gift. See the glow around her wee head? <laughs> Betty remembered the woman asking if she was a changeling. She later found out that according to fairy lore, a changeling is a human fairy hybrid that they sometimes left in place of human babies, which they kidnapped and took to their subterranean kingdom. The odd little man introduced himself as Acorn and the woman as Fluff. Fluff had made a little curtsy when Acorn introduced her, which struck Betty as being very cute. I had never seen a woman do that before, she said. Later that night, when my mom asked me to wash my face and hands for supper, I I curtsied. Mom laughed and wondered where I had learned to do that. I told her that a fairy named Miss Fluff had shown me how, and Mom just laughed all the harder. As is nearly always the case, children such as Betty are almost never believed when they confess to parents their interactions with, quote, imaginary friends, and are usually discouraged from such silliness in the future. And so the children kept the events to themselves. 
but the fairies still appear, just as they did to Betty. She enjoyed the company of Fluff and Acorn throughout her childhood, but it didn't take her long to figure out that they were invisible to most other people. Many times they appeared to her as little lights, which often danced through which often danced with fireflies through the darkness. Mm-hmm. Soon they had assumed the roles of guardian spirits, looking out for her welfare and keeping her from harm. Once when she was young, her two fairy guardians had distracted an angry bull from butting her when she inadvertently wandered into the pasture during a mating ritual. When she was 10 years old, they chased away a stray dog that had wandered onto their farm. It was foaming at the mouth, possibly rabid, and advancing on her when the fairy light swirled around its head and pulled it away by its floppy ears. Less than a year later, they saved me from drowning in the creek that ran near our farm, Betty recalled. I had seen some older neighbor kids jumping off the banks into the water, and I had incorrectly assumed the depth as being much less than it truly was. And to make matters worse, I was alone that afternoon. Following the other kid's example, she leapt from the bank and became panicky when she found that she couldn't touch the bottom, thrashing and sputtering helplessly about in the muddy water. I would surely have drowned, Betty stated, if Acorn and Fluff had not hovered over me and pulled me to the bank. There was no one else there to help me, but my fairy guardians were there to help me. Although the fairies appeared less and less as she grew older, they some, sometimes still appeared to Betty when she was feeling ill or depressed. She would often hear their childlike laughter, which never failed to elevate her spirits. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. I, like that. Did, I had imaginary friends, did you? That you know of? I, uh... Do you remember anything about them? I don't... I, I don't remember anything about them. Yeah. I just, my mother said... Um, I had two, uh, Shaka, <laughs> Chanka, yeah. and Julie, a normal name and a not average name. Oh, wow. And, and then just like one day she said I was at the front door and I was waving and she's like, who's outside? Like, who are you waving to? And I told her that they were leaving, that they had to go. Wow. So I don't know, but I don't remember like talking to anything. <laughs> but that's pretty heavy if she remembered. Yeah, she said yeah. I had them like all through. I mean, I don't know how old I was. I guess if I don't remember it, I was still pretty young. But yeah, um, she just said one day I was waving and said they had to go. Wow. No, I, yeah. I don't. I don't remember. I remember weird shit, but I don't remember. Um, being told you had a friend like right yeah right i remember i thought um i thought my dad have a, had an evil doppelganger <laughs> real little <laughs> and, and maybe some, he did yeah yeah <laughs> it was him right right sometimes he'd be around and i'd be like that's not him that's the fucking doppelganger wow <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I have this other one. This one is really interesting, but it's long. So what I'm going to do is try to really quickly, um, and it's still Hans Holzer. Um, 
he he was on the Art Link letter show in 1962, and a lady saw him on the show and tried to contact him, and he calls her Mrs. Mrs. M W, and she was 63 years old, and she said that she had been in ill health almost all of her life, going from doctor to doctor. And she sought remedies for her nervous illness. And as a result of her condition, had spent a better part of her, of 11 years in bed and only began to live again properly in 1959. All right, let me, let me get to the meat of... Anyway, I'm sorry, I should have like highlighted or something. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Um... Um, good job Lisa good job but anyway so she said she was being let me find it because this is so good this is so good alright she said okay here it is she said that one of the doctors was like um like mentally haunting her or or you know messing with her yeah you know what i mean like that yeah. kind of a possession and then um and then she said and then he he kind of had to get to the bottom of it and he he probed for the depth to which this relationship had gone in her mind and she was firmly convinced the doctor was running her life, making her do whatever he wanted, and that she could do nothing without his permission. Somehow, she was convinced that their hypnotic relationship had established a foothold for his evil intentions within her, and that now it was too late to do anything. So she thought she was possessed by another You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, but here's what he, and I'm so sorry, this is horrible, but because this is so good, you're like, Lisa, please. Um, and she was hearing voices and something. All right, so he's uh, Hans Holzer thought that she created this in her mind, that she thought there was a connection between her and the doctor, and then she created this weird relationship in her mind. Right. Like, so that nobody was actually doing anything to her, that she generated this. And that's a little bit terrifying to me, but interesting. Yeah. But interesting where you feel there's some kind of connection and something's happening and then you think somebody is doing something, controlling you in some way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's scary to me. Oh, yeah. It's so much of it's... uh, um, 
just so fascinating, you know. Right. It's I I I love I don't I don't know if love's the right word, but I think it's interesting how um John Kill always talked about they would give you little little pieces of information that you couldn't possibly know and it would check out. Right. But then they'd tell you something totally full of shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and right. whatever these things are, you know, and uh um like going back to what we were talking about earlier, the trickster aspect, you know. I was just thinking that too of our yeah. conversation earlier. It's like here here's a nugget and here's a lump of shit, you know, <laughs> like here's right. it's like um because earlier it was um like Delua from the play, The Immortal Hour, and he's the yeah. trickster fairy. Yeah. And he can cause madness and death. Right. But he also seems to arrange things. So like it's and then there's the component of us. Right. There's something because in the play he'll find himself somewhere like oh where am i and so when it's like almost like we looking for oh, it you know what i right, mean but right. then they'll like arrange something or give a piece of information or whatever but then they'll also there's stuff that doesn't add up and so that can cause madness yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh god <laughs> so maybe maybe our little heads do glow like in one of the accounts yeah. we just told i know <laughs> Like, look, there's fucking... There was something... I should have took better notes, but um, there was something I was reading earlier in the week, and it was... I don't know. It's just kind of an epiphany moment where I was reading something, and it was um, talking about... I don't know if it was a bit or something, and it was saying... You know, it, they had the power to, and I started, and whatever I was reading, the way I read it, it went, it popped into my head, like, this isn't, I don't, mind reading is such a limited way of looking at it, it's like, <laughs> they're, if these things, um, hard to put into words but if these supernatural beings they're not reading minds they just pull it out of they're they're already aware of the collective unconscious like we Mm -hmm. we we think we're these um individual units and we are in a sense but we're tapped into a greater um we're in a box and and these things (laughs) these things are automatically tapped into that. So there's no need. Right. They just can, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. And it also makes me think of like when, when we just said like, they'll give you nonsense or whatever. It it makes me think of time. Like, because even stuff in my own life, like getting this house and having like all these clues for like eight years or whatever. And um, yeah it's like little hints and whatever along the way might seem like okay <laughs> right but when you look back at it you're like oh my god right, right. <laughs> yeah because right. i don't know if they operate in the same if they're worried about time they might give you 
you might get something that seems like nonsense and 10 years from now it might make total sense <laughs> right yeah yeah it's um it, it exactly it was just one of those moments i realized and it goes with what you were just saying but they're already plugged into all of it they're not right they're they're not right. the way um the way we even think about things is right. how we function yeah it's not it's not how they are they just are you know yeah right i love that though actually <laughs> yeah <me too. laughs> probably never completely understand it because yeah, we're not yeah. tapped in like that <laughs> right it's um <laughs> I, for some reason i do you remember the movie the horror movie scanners yes with yes. the yeah these um uh, scanners were um human beings that had a gift where they could read minds mm-hmm. or um, control other human beings. But it like <laughs> anytime they would turn it on, it would like hurt them and their veins were popping out of their head and it was right. like, brutal, you know, and it's like, right. Um, like these... we can't handle. Right. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> it's just so uh, beyond us. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> great. And then you want to start doing recommendations? Or did you think of anything? I have. Can I recommend something? Yeah, go ahead. And I'll, I'll uh, make a list for next episode. Yeah, we thought, guys, we'd start ending with recommendations of just all kinds of stuff. But I've been listening to this podcast and this is a drama podcast. So it's a, a like an audio drama and not, I, I don't want to say nonfiction because there's real stuff in there, but it's called the ghost on this road. And it's a guy and a girl and they're supposed to be just two people who are both kind of like out in the world going to like weird locations and stuff and checking out stuff like paranormal kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it's just like phone calls to each other. Oh, which wow. is kind of what, which is kind of what we're doing right now, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we're playing ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> but um, so it's interesting. It's phone calls and then it'll be like, you know, I'm here and, like looking into this and but it all you know it has all kinds of real paranormal topics and stuff in it yeah and but it's just a and their voices the guy um i know i haven't even looked it up honestly but i i'll bet money it's the guy that does Mm. knife point horror yeah that podcast so he has a kind of a a relaxing voice and then whoever he picked or maybe she picked. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever the uh, the other the female is, uh, her voice is also really that the ghost on this road. Yeah, <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I love my audio dramas. I do. Yeah, yeah I, I need to start finding some. Uh new stuff to listen to i've hit a wall where same same here 
Same here. And then someone mentioned earlier, someone said, I used to read a book, you know, a book at a time. Now I find I'm reading like eight books at once, right? Yeah. I'm doing that now too. Yeah. And I know you do that too, because we'll be like, oh my God, I got to finish this book. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like I got all these books started, you know? It's, well, sometimes, and this, this really didn't used to happen to me a lot, but here with a couple books, um, it's really heavy. They're really right. packed full of information and history and it's right. exhausting. And you kind of put like, it aside. So I right. put it aside and be like, okay, I'll I'll pick up a chapter here and there. But um yeah, that I used to be a lot better about that. I'd but um Yeah, I used to read yeah. a book. Yeah. And I'd have my sack, <laughs> but I'd read a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm all over the map. I don't yeah, even know. Me too. I've got a stack right over here full of bookmarks and post it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then next week we'll we'll do a movie it'll be movie night yeah we'll Sounds do another good. bigfoot yeah 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 you pick this one i will pick this one okay pick one okay awesome all right you want to wrap it up yep sounds good all right good night everybody Take care. Bye.